0: Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Man, so fitting as we talk about uh, the blind spots of integrity and we talk about what it means to be holy and fully yourself. and. I don't know about you, but when we have this conversation about blind spots, it makes me uncomfortable. Uh, I uh, am unaware of how to know what I do not know. Anybody else struggle (laughs) with that? And uh, I'm finding, and this could be generational, um, but I'm finding that oftentimes I might say something and then uh, people laugh. Does that happen to anybody else? (laughs) Like sometimes I'll mention things to my children and they'll laugh at me and then I think... Something that I understand and have talked about now is no longer appropriate to talk about. Has that happened to anybody else? Like you bring up something and you say something we used to say, and then they're like, Oh, you can't say that now. Oh, I I didn't know. I had a blind spot about that whole thing. I'm not very hip. I don't know if you've noticed. but (laughs) So... uh, this is that service where we welcome in uh, our folks live streaming with us, and we welcome you. We're glad that you are with us, and we appreciate you and praying for you wherever you are this morning. And, uh, and so I, I, I worry about this blind spot thing, but I particularly worry about it, you know, just across the board when it has to do with subject matter. But I worry about it when it has to do with me. What about me am I missing? It makes me uncomfortable. It makes me uh, highly self-aware of what I might not know, and understand. And we're told by psychologists that few of us really understand who we really are, that we have, uh, you know, lots of faces we wear, but not necessarily the core of who we are. Frederick beetner writes these words, the original shimmering self gets buried so deep that most of us end up hardly living out of it at all. Instead, we live out the other selves, which we are constantly putting on and taking off like coats and hats against the world's weather. (laughs) And and I I find that quote to be interesting because I find it to be true. Don't you really sort of check the weather of relationships or environments and then put on the appropriate coat and hat to protect you from whatever that particular environment produces? so, So that there's a particular sort of coat and hat you put on to protect yourself when you're at family events? There's a particular coat and hat you put on when you go to work or to school because you've tested the weather and you sort of know what's out there and you sort of decided what you need to do, what your demeanor will be. It's not really your true self. It's just a coat and hat you put on to protect yourself from the harsh environment into which you're going. Or if you're in a very comfortable environment, you are able to be more of your true self. And so that's why psychologists develop these Test. That's why there's this complex thing about your primary personality, your secondary, your tertiary. And I don't know if you've ever studied all that stuff, but man, it gets very complex about who we are and how we're made and what our true selves represent. That's what these uh, tests are about. That's what these processes are about when you take a Myers-Briggs or an Enneagram or a Strengths Finder. How, how many of you, uh, well, you don't have to raise your hands, but you know, th- there are pseudo tests now you can take online that are free. So any of these tests are available to you for free. You just go out there and take them. And they're usually 50, 75, 100 questions, maybe. But how many of you have taken the real test, the one you pay for? Yeah, there's a few of you. That's a whole different animal, isn't it? Amen. I mean, you sit down to do a five, 700-word questionnaire. <laughs> and then, I don't know if you know this, but these tests are psychologically designed because psychologists know that you're going to try to trick the test. So it's one of those, if you're thinking what I'm thinking, that you're thinking that I'm thinking, then I'm going to be thinking what you're not thinking, so I'm going to think what you need to think in order for you to not think. Or something like that. It goes like that. <laughs> but it's so weird because you've taken that test, and you know, you're know you answering a question about your personality, and you're trying to present yourself well. You're wearing your coat and hat. Oh, yes, I always serve others. And then the next question is about bodily functions. And it completely, I mean, you just go, I don't understand why you need to know this for this test. But they figured out that you drift and you become more and more dishonest. And so they ask you questions that pull you back in and create a layer of honesty. So when you go through all of the questions, they're actually psychologically driven to keep you honest. You cannot lie. You can lie for 75 questions. We've all done it. It's probably people in this room right now who've taken one of those tests online and then go, I'm going to do that again. (laughs) I didn't really like how that turned out. (laughs) I'm going to answer those questions differently this time. Because I don't want to be that. I want to be this. You know? So, it's tough getting down to who we really are. Last week, I quoted from Ian Morgan Crone, who authored the book, The Road Back to You. Listen to what he writes. Learning and now teaching the Enneagram has shown me something of the crooked timber from which my and other people's hearts are made. This self understanding, the self understanding I've gained from it, has helped me to put an end to a few childish ways and become a more spiritual adult. I'm certainly not there yet, but now and again I sense the immediacy of God's grace and for an instant catch a glimpse of the person that I was created to be. In the spiritual life, That is no small thing. (laughs) Let me just say this to you. Anytime we catch a glimpse of genuinely who God created us to be, that is no small thing in spiritual life, but it is no small thing in any aspect of life. To come face to face with how we were created, with who we really are, with what our genuine strengths and weaknesses are about. And so we're talking about the blind spots of integrity today, and I, I would guess that for most of us, when we think about this topic, there's a pre-programmed sort of thing that runs in our head, and you, you're already calculating what we're going to talk about. Sounds a little bit like the Boy Scout oath or the Girl Scout oath, you understand? You know, I promise to do my best, to do my duty, you know. So just a question for you, when you, when you first realized we were going to talk about integrity, what did you think we were going to talk about? Now, most of you are looking at me at this point going, oh, I didn't realize this was like an interactive experience. (laughs) I didn't know I was supposed to be thinking of stuff. So, So let me just less optimistically bring it down a little. In your opinion, now that you know we are going to talk about the blind spots of integrity, where do you think this conversation is going to go? And a second question, what, in your opinion, are the odds that I'm going to say something in the next few minutes that you haven't already heard. Because I think we believe that we know everything there is to know about this issue of integrity. That we've figured out and calculated and we've created a space for it in our culture and in our environment. So let me, as you think about that, jump into the story of Joseph. Joseph's ordeal. We, we've been following it along, and what we found out about Joseph is that he's human like the rest of us, and he has his own coat and hat that he puts on and off, and he's got some issues, and they're ego-related. And he certainly lacks some EQ in the journey, but overall, we find him to be a pretty good guy, and he's been through a lot. We find that you know his brothers have turned against him. He's been sold into slavery. He's gone off with a caravan to Egypt. He's been sold, and so we pick up the story in chapter 39 And uh, some things are happening to Joseph. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. And the Lord was with Joseph, though that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in the eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. And the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care uh, with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Sometime I should do a whole series on that, that verse. How do you get to a point in life where the only thing you worry about is what you're going to eat? I don't know. That just seems like... (laughs) Heaven. <laughs> now, Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of him and said, "'Come to bed with me,' but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, "'My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted my care. No one is greater in his house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife.'" How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her and even be with her. And one day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand, and he ran out of the house. Now, when we talk about integrity, we figured this would be where the conversation went. I'm guessing that most of us, when we talked about it, we figured that it would have something to do with sexuality. Because, in our culture, we create these two terms almost synonymously. Sexual purity and integrity are considered to be, and that's very important. There's no doubt that integrity has something to do with sexual purity and morality and all of those things are woven in there together. However, If we have become content to believe that the issue of wholeness and integrity is wrapped up in this one issue of sexuality, then we're missing something very, very important. Because, in fact, integrity is a much bigger issue than just one area of life. It's it's to be applied to all the areas of life. And so, for a moment, I, I want you to think a little bit about What's going on? I think that integrity has something to do with morality and it has something to do with honesty and consistency, about getting it right, about choosing right, about doing the right thing when nobody's looking. All that's true. But for a moment, let's set it aside because I believe that the blind spot of integrity is that we limit where we might need to put integrity into practice. That we limit where we might need to put it into practice. So let's work on some definitions for integrity. Here's one from Random House. Adherence to moral and ethical principles. Soundness of moral character. Honesty. The state of being whole, entire, undiminished. A sound, unimpaired, our perfect condition. No surprises there. That's what the dictionary says about integrity. We sort of knew that. Another dictionary says, Firm adherence to a code of especially moral or artistic values. Eh, That's all consistent with what we might think. So if you want to get a broader definition, you have to go kind of look further. So the So Young Kang, who is a leader in a new movement called Transformational Leadership, she she has a little different definition. Listen to this. When I look at the definition of integrity, it's defined as a concept of consistency of actions, values, methods, measures, principles, expectations, and outcomes. In ethics, integrity is regarded as the honesty and truthfulness or accuracy of one's actions. Let me call out the key words in the definition. ...that are most often missed. Consistency, honesty, and truthfulness are accuracy of one act, one's actions. Cain goes on to say that if we're going to deal with integrity... ...we have to speak about those issues. Are we consistent? Consistency means that we are the same regardless of the situation. That we practice the same language and behaviors on Sunday morning in church... As we do every other day of the week. it didn't get a big amen in the first service either. That we speak to the people we know best with the same sort of decorum as we speak to strangers. Isn't it funny that we speak to strangers with such careful work because we put on the coat and hat of public consumption? And we all want to be people who are nice. I mean, that's a funny thing that goes on, isn't it? You've been at your house in the heat of the battle. I'm I'm assuming you know what I'm talking about. And the phone rings. And you can't get that coat and hat off fast enough and get the other coat and hat on. I mean, it is literally... Hello. (laughs) Saw that coming. Consistency means we talk the same, we behave the same. Consistency is an, it's an issue when we talk about integrity. Further, it's about honesty. Honest about our own strengths and our own weaknesses. Honest about our own responsibility in situations and relationships and especially in dysfunction. I mean, how many of us are truly honest about our contribution to Dysfunction. To what's happening in an area of conflict where we say, you know, I got to be honest, this is what I'm contributing, I got to be honest because it's an issue of integrity, I can't act like it's not my fault, I can't act like someone else is to blame. Seth Myers, not the comedian, <laughs> but a psychologist, writing in Psychology Today gives this definition, which is the one I believe we ought to work with, because I believe it's the one that's most biblical. An individual with integrity is the antidote to self-interest. An individual with integrity is the antidote to self-interest. So Seth Myers, the psychologist who we're going to lean on a little bit today, says that the, a person who practices integrity is a person who is moving the attention away from self-interest onto other things. Now, when you think about that, that sort of fits in with that whole morality issue. I mean, that's what sexual purity is about. It's about putting your self-interest aside and, and, and participating in the interests of a greater purpose and a greater cause. And so for a moment to stop and just think about that, when you, when you start to analyze it, an antidote for self... A person practicing integrity is an antidote for self-interest. That sort of fits in with the whole biblical model. The Ten Commandments, in fact, say, here are ways in which you are to love God, and here are ways in which you are to love each other. So as we love God in this way, and we love others in this way, it is an antidote for self-interest. So when Jesus is asked to sum it up, love the Lord your God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself, these are antidotes for self-interest. They have something to do with how you and I are invited to set aside what's best for us in favor of what's truly good, better, healthier. It's called integrity. It means that we are responding and acting out in ways that are furthering the great cause of relationship. So these things are spelled out. There's two two people who speak about it very specifically, Paul and James. We could cite a lot of places, but we'll take this one from Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, valor, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each to of you to the interests of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Anybody know the next line? Who being in very nature God, did not think equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. So, so the imagery created here, and by the way, this passage in Greek is called the kenosis passage. The word for emptying, he emptied himself and became obedient, he emptied himself, is kenosis. It means he poured out his ego. How many of us say, that's how I live? I do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Instead, I think of others better than myself. I don't really take an inventory of my own needs. That's not how I live. I take inventory of the needs around me, and I empty myself of my ego, my own self-interest. Integrity as an antidote for self-interest. How many of you like the book of James? Three. That's consistent. Because the book of James, you can't read it and misunderstand it. Other scriptures, you go, I don't know what that means. You can't do that over in the book of James. The book of James is very explicit. You read it and you go, ugh. I so get it. Uh." So let's have a little James thought. James 3.13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. I mean, there's a reversal of ethic. (laughs) I mean, how many of us in this room would look at that passage of Scripture and, and just go, peacemakers, wait a minute, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness? No, no, that's not how I live. I believe if I sow righteousness, I'll reap peace. Okay, just me? I believe that if I get everything right, the result will be peace. But James says, go sow peace and everything will become right. Humble yourself and don't do anything out of selfish ambition and seek peace, and righteousness comes out of that process. Imagine that reality. Seth Myers, who I mentioned earlier, not the comedian, <laughs> in Psychology Today, writes an article, and I find it to be fascinating. And, and so I, 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 uh, if, if I say something that you think is profound, it belongs to him, and if I mess it up and it seems wrong to you, it's probably my fault because I'm summarizing and restating what he said. So please don't hold him accountable for whatever I'm about to say. <laughs> you can look it up online, Psychology Today, Seth Myers, and you can read the title uh, of the article is Seven Signs of People with Integrity. And here's what's fascinating to me about the article as he writes and he talks about integrity and he talks about people with integrity are an antidote for self-interest. He then says, as people come to me for counseling and care, here are seven areas where I seldom see integrity put into practice. Secular psychologists writing an article. Here are seven places where the people who come to me and are seeking help for broken relationship and broken families where I seldom see integrity put into practice. Number one, I seldom see parents apologizing to their children for over-punishing or yelling at them. Now, I think that's fascinating. (laughs) I seldom see parents apologizing for over-punishing their children or yelling at them. In other words, it's an issue of integrity when you're the person with power to act in ways that are honest and consistent that are life-giving. I don't know how many have seen the movie Matilda, but in the movie the dad says to the daughter over and over, I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. And there's nothing you can do about it. And it's not just about parents and children. This is what I derive from that little piece. There are so many places in which the consequence of our behavior will only be how it emotionally damages or helps the individual to whom we're talking. So when a parent is interacting with a child, the reality is there's no accountability beyond what is happening to that child mentally and emotionally and spiritually. There's no accountability beyond that, at least in that moment. How many places do we apply integrity here? Whether it's with our own children or it's in other situations where we can speak and we can act out and we can say things because we have a security that the only consequence is going to be whatever damage is going to happen in the inside world of the person to whom we're speaking. Do we have integrity in that moment? In that moment, when we go, I need to be aware of how these words are going to land with this person. They don't have the power to fight back. They're not in a situation to speak up. They are being Now, we're a very enlightened society. So generally speaking, in our relationship, physical abuse is not allowed ever, 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 ever. But we are not nearly so enlightened when it comes to emotional abuse. When it comes to powering people and overpowering people. Tony Campolo wrote a book years ago called The Power Delusion, and in it he makes this incredibly difficult statement. (laughs) Whoever loves the least has the most power. You you take any situation, relationship, whoever loves the least has the most power. I am more willing to hurt you than you are willing to hurt me. Therefore, I have the most power. That is an anti-biblical view of the world. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Instead, consider others better than yourself. Look to the needs of others instead of to your own needs. And integrity is an antidote for self-interest. Number two, Seth Meyers says, I seldom see, wait a minute, he's not going to see that yet. I seldom see leaders highlighting the accomplishments of others while downplaying their own. Now, you know, you think this is a business thing, and it applies, you know, but this is a human thing. I seldom see people who consider their contribution to something to be less than and other people's contributions to be more than. Let's apply that for a moment to the family dynamic. I'm the glue that holds this family together. I don't know what the rest of the people are doing. How many of you, when you were in school, you had the dreaded group project? It's the bane of every quality educational experience. I mean, and by the way, the longer you go in school, the more they make you do that. And the worse it is, the more that's at stake. You get to grad school and they announce at the beginning, you open that syllabus and it says, the majority of the grade will be based on a group project. Why is that? Because what we all feel is, I'm going to have to pull these slugs through again. It's going to all be up to me. Only people in the room who don't feel that way. But I'm trying not to say things that might damage someone's inner world. Because we do. We feel like we are the ones contributing all the stuff. I'm the one making it happen. I'm the one raising our kids. I'm the one making the marriage work. I'm the one, I'm the one, I'm the one, I'm the one. I'm this friendship. If I wasn't for me, these group of people, I'm the glue that holds the group together. And how seldom do we think this is an issue of integrity? But I'm not supposed to think about my own contributions. I'm supposed to play my contributions down in humility, empty myself of my ego, and I'm supposed to build... The contributions of others up. That Seth Myers, a secular psychologist, says, I seldom see this. This is a place where I seldom see integrity applied. Most people who come to me for help have a very overinflated view of their own contributions to relationships and circumstances and situations and have a very diminished view of the contribution of others. Integrity is an antidote for self interest. Number three. I seldom see family members who boycott name-calling, destructive attitudes, and damaging dispositions. I seldom see family members who have decided we do not talk like that. We do not call those names. We do not speak like that. But this is bigger than that. We do not practice those destructive attitudes in the confines of this home. That's, That's... We commit together to not have that attitude. That attitude, that disposition does not create an environment in which people are allowed to take off their coat and hat and make themselves at home. That attitude, those words, bringing up that past, that does not create an environment that is conducive to a place that is consistent and honest and open and humble. Full of mercy and grace. I seldom see families who say, we simply have decided together that we will not at any time do that. That's not going to be us. We're not going to go down that road. Number four. I seldom see drivers who almost never use the horn or drive aggressively. As I was reading the article, I was like, wow, this kind of came out of left field. And then I thought, that's a really interesting one, isn't it? I seldom see drivers who are applying integrity in this moment. So when you think about it, and you think about consistency and honesty as a piece of integrity, there are, there are those of us who act out against other drivers in ways we would never, ever dream of acting if we were face-to-face with that person. I mean, it's just astonishing, isn't it? And so then I start to think, well, there's a bigger principle in play here. That we find some sort of power when we have a, a, a sense of isolation from others. And we will act out in ways because... We love humanity, but this person is making me crazy. Amen? And isn't that what happens on social media? I mean, there's some fearless warriors on social media, aren't there? Who will say, none of them in this room are joining us. On social media. <laughs> but something happens to our issue of integrity. When, they, when we're not face to face with someone. And isn't that true not only when they're in another vehicle or on social media. But when they're not present in our conversation in our living room. Ha! I mean. It's kind of interesting when you go home from church. And. You have others for lunch. I mean, isn't that a weird thing? We just went to church. We learned about love. Can you believe? Because we have a tendency to dive into the faceless people. But integrity says we got to treat people well, even when we're not face-to-face with them. Number five... People in positions of power being respectful of those serving them. I seldom see integrity at work when people in positions of power, how they treat the people who are serving them. I just think it matters. I have seen more social meltdowns in Starbucks than almost anywhere else on the planet. As if I mean, you guys realize that the guy who founded Starbucks, he worked for a coffee company in Seattle. He went to those executives and he said, I want to start a coffee, uh, you know, a coffee place. And I want to make super high-end premium coffee. And I'm going to charge 4 or $5 for a cup of coffee. And the, and the executives of that coffee company said, people will never, ever pay that kind of money for coffee. So he left the company and started Starbucks. And now we, in our deep wisdom, stand in line. to pay many dollars for coffee. And when we pay many dollars for coffee, something happens to us. Because I don't know if you know, but we talked about this, the paradox of choice. Remember when we talked about that? Because now we have, at at Starbucks, you can ask for anything and people do, don't they? I want a skinny vanilla with a, you know, soy milk, which is half-calf with a thing, and I want some, you know, what? Are you sure that's not even coffee anymore? I don't know. Why don't we just put some ice cream in there and make it a milkshake? I mean, have you heard some of the orders? I mean, they print out the ticket and it's like runs off the cup. People back there with glasses, there's consultations. How do you think we should make this? I don't know. We're going to have to get the scientists in here and we'll need a chemist. And because we have this power of choice, we become almost inhuman in how we receive. Up, oh, I asked for this to be extra hot. If this is 165, I'll fall over dead. <laughs> and it's an issue of integrity. And it's not just the person, the barista at Starbucks. It's the person, it, it, it is every phase of life. People serve us. And they have some sense of obligation to take care of us. And how we treat people who are in a position where they are serving us has everything to do with the integrity inside of us. It matters. It matters. The consistency that we treat with respect, those who have power and also those who do not have power. It matters. Number six. Anyone, I seldom see anyone giving another person the benefit of the doubt when circumstances are unclear. Is there any issue in our culture and world today that is clear? And yet we fight and argue and are incredibly divisive. And Meyer says, to me, this is an issue of integrity. I, more and more in my journey, and I, I want to articulate it as often as I can, but more and more... The folks that I am wary of, the the folks that I worry about are people who try to make everything sound simple, like there are one-word answers to very complex problems. I don't know how to tolerate that. I don't know how to put up with that. I I don't care what social issue you lay on the table. Our politics tell us, well, here's a simple answer over here. Well, here's a simple answer over here. There are no simple answers. The issues that we face today are multi-layered, thousands of layers, and each one of them is complex. And when people act like the answers are simple, that we create a a problem in our culture and a problem in our relationships. And so, what is it about us that, that, that we, in these very complex situations, when things are unclear and the answers are unclear, when did we stop giving the benefit of the doubt to other people? When did we stop being compassionate? I'm just amazed at the ability of people to love generally, but to love no one individual at all. And that you and I are invited into a place where we offer the benefit of the doubt. Now, I'm not just talking about some cultural high horse. When I talk to my own children, there are very few conversations between us, given the world I grew up in and the world they've grown up in, Where everything is clear. Now, I don't know how you talk to your children, but how I talk to my children is, I'm big and you're little, I'm right and you're wrong. Okay, that's not really true. But it is what I think. (laughs) Why you guys are making this so complex, let me tell you, it's really simple. (laughs) When I grew up, you did this or you didn't do that. And if you didn't do it, your parents smacked you and then you didn't do it anymore. (laughs) Amen? Amen. Well, let's talk about our feelings. Nope. You get the feeling right down in this area right here. It's a miracle. It works its way up, and it fixes your brain. But I'm finding out that seems to not be the way it works. And this is where the real rubber meets the road. Am I willing to give the benefit of the doubt to a generation that I can't possibly comprehend what they face and go through? Because the issues are not clear. And it's a matter of integrity. I need to treat them in such a way that they feel honored and respected for the journey that they are on. I can love and I can grace and I can... I can hug and I can try to teach. I can try to speak from my own experience. But am I willing to give them the benefit of the doubt? Number seven, I seldom see people volunteering. This one seems so self serving that I decided I wouldn't comment on it, I'd just read what he wrote. Is that okay with you? As a society, we don't volunteer hardly enough. Yet a handful of men and women make volunteering a built in part of their weekly life, whether at church, food pantry, animal shelter, or other nonprofit. It shows a certain level of integrity to volunteer for a one day stint here or there. But the steadier integrity is shown by those who commit to ongoing volunteer positions that require a real sacrifice of time. Cheers to all the parents who coach their children's sports team, but even louder applause to those. Volunteers who provide a service to their larger community are to underprivileged strangers. I wonder how many of us ever think of integrity related to volunteering. It all speaks to this issue at the heart of the matter. And that is, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Instead, consider others better than yourself. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God emptied himself and became obedient. And so as we come to a close, then the question that I have for you is this. Have you, in the last few minutes, started to think of integrity in a different way? And in what places has the Holy Spirit tapped you on the shoulder as we've talked? And what places has the Holy Spirit said, you know what, here's some places that need attention in this area of the blind spots of integrity. I said earlier, I think the blind spot of integrity is that we don't apply it in nearly enough places. And so as we close, my challenge to you is this, that you don't let that slip away. That there is a consistency and an honesty and a truthfulness that would say, I'm going to write down the things that the Holy Spirit spoke to me about. I'm going I'm to spend some time praying and thinking about them. And I'm going to invite God to be the strength in my weakness, to remind me to be a person of integrity. God, would you help us? As we close, as we sing those words again, that you know our name, you know our every thought, Would you search our hearts? As we respond to your word, would you give us the opportunity to put some things down on paper, to speak some things, to understand some things, to commit to some things? Maybe for just a few moments, take off our coat and hat and be ourselves. Allow your word to hold up that mirror that reveals who we really are down deep. And would you allow us to open our hearts in such a way that we invite your strength to be made perfect in our weakness. Without you, not a single one of us is capable of any kind of integrity. But as we surrender, as we are connected to you, your strength is made perfect. In our weakness. And so, in these closing moments, would you hear our prayers and would you teach us how to overcome the blind spots of integrity in our own life and journey and relationships? May each of us be an antidote for self interest. We prayed in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, Amen. will you stand as we respond to the word? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.